There's usually, usually a cue, but I didn't, I didn't give the cue. For 30 years, I worked at the Postal Service. And, um, you know, if we, if we went out in the morning with a truck full of mail and then just sat in the truck for eight hours and went back into the office, they would probably have something to say to us about that. You know, it's not about, you know, and you're going you're gonna to get a little bit of that today. We, I had to go out and I had to get out and I had to walk the route. And I had to deliver the mail. I had to walk. It wasn't just about gathering a lot of stuff up and just hanging out for, for an amount of time. So today we're going to talk about two things. Knowing God's will and then walking in God's will. See, because one is really no good without the other. It's like me going out with a truck full of mail and then just bringing it back in at the end of the day, not doing anything with it. What are we to do once we understand, once we gain the knowledge of God's will, then what are we to do? So sort of a two-part message today. If you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, Our main scripture today is going to be chapter 1 of Colossians, verses 9, 9 and 10. But I'm going, to, I'm going to have you jump around a little bit. Because it's important that we understand God's will. And we understand that what it means to walk in that will. So in verses 9 and 10 in Colossians 1, it says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Knowing His will and walking worthy. So Paul here gives instructions for the, for the Christian life in these two verses. First, that we know His will. And second, that we walk in His will. Walking worthy of the Lord. See, those two things are connected so that when we find one, we are forced to look for the other. And like I said before, what good is it to know God's will and not do anything about it? God's will, I liken it to uh, GPS for our lives. It sort of meets us where we are and gives us the course and direction. You know, but just like that GPS unit that we that we have on our devices, we can choose to follow it or not. You know, it doesn't steer the car for us. It kind of yells at us when we make a wrong turn and tell us to turn around or make a U-turn or or redirects us, but it doesn't force us to go on its course. That's a choice we make. God directs His will for us as His children, but He gives us the choice to follow that will. We can live outside of the will of God if we choose. And we can seek our own desires as opposed to God's plan for our lives. I think back at the model prayer that Jesus gave His disciples and and to us, where God's will is identified as a central concern for the life of a Christian. 
Jesus told us to pray that the Father's kingdom would come and that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. The coming of God's kingdom is demonstrated through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God's will can only be accomplished through us by His Spirit working in us. In heaven, God's will is perfectly and completely accomplished. On earth, it's a different story. In heaven, there's no disobedience. On earth, we can disobey God and we can go against His plan and His purpose for our lives. In heaven, there's nothing that can get in the way of God's will being done. But on earth, I think we get in the way of God's will being done more than anything else. And so, we see that that prayer for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we see what that means. There is a stark difference. So the kingdom of God and His will are connected. Just as knowing His will and walking in His will are connected. And as believers, our connection with Jesus Christ is determined by doing His will. It's not just about knowing. It's not just about an intellectual assent. But it's about putting feet on that and, and doing His will. So in, verses, in verse, one, uh, verse 9 of Colossians 1, we read, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So the first part of that, the Apostle Paul prays that those who read this letter would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And what an awesome prayer that is. You know, it was for the Colossian believers, but it's also for us that we would find His will. So a couple of questions regarding the will of God. First, why do we need to know His will? What, you know, what purpose does it have in our lives? Well, a couple of verses in, in the Bible will explain to us the necessity as believers of knowing His will. In, in John 9.31, it says, Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, He hears Him. So the first clue to why we need to know His will if we, want, if we want God to hear our prayers, we need to know His will and to do His will. Our prayers are hindered when we're in disobedience to Him and to His will for our lives. And then in 1 John 2.17, it says, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So here we see that in contrast to everything in this world which is temporary, the kingdom of God is eternal. So what are we putting our time, our efforts into? Are we putting it into things that are temporal, 
when we can invest in things that are eternal. God's kingdom is forever and people are forever. We will be in eternity either with God or separated from God. So what are we putting our time and efforts into? And second, how do we find the will of God for us? It's not by our own human intellect that we can know or find the will of God, but it's by the Holy Spirit that it's revealed to us. In 1 Corinthians 2.12, Paul writes, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. God gives us his will freely. But the knowledge of that will comes by the Holy Spirit. Because it's a spiritual thing. And it's by prayer that we can come to the knowledge of the will of God. Now think about it. If we follow the ways of this world, we will never find the will of God. You know, it's like going back to that example of the GPS. If we, if we put a destination in, but decide to go in another direction, we're not going to get there. So if we follow the ways of this world, we won't find the will of God. But if we renew our minds and focus on Jesus Christ, we can confirm His perfect will for our lives. How do I know that? Well, it says in Romans 12 too, And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you see, it's not in this world that we will discover the will of God. But it's in setting our minds on Jesus. It's being transformed by the Holy Spirit that we may confirm that perfect will. You know, God's will for us is perfect. God's will for us is complete. There's nothing more that we need to know about our lives. It says in the Bible that the Bible has everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's all here for us. And He freely gives it. And it's by the Holy Spirit that it is revealed to us. So, a couple of things here about the will of God and what it is for believers. And if you're taking notes, this is a good time to jot down a couple of things. God's will must include confession and repentance. God's will must include confession and repentance. In the book of Ezra, we see one of the first references to doing God's will. It was a time where the people were rebellious and coming under heavy condemnation for their disobedience to God and specifically His command to keep themselves separate from the pagan nations around them. And this account tells us that God's will includes confession and repentance. Ezra 10.11 says, Now therefore make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do His will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives. So we see here instructions 
that God's will must include confession and repentance. Two elements of the Christian life coming together. And in that time, in that account, it was an awesome move of the Holy Spirit where people jointly recognized their sin and then together they made a covenant to turn from that sin. It was an awesome revival at that time. And even though the revival was nationwide, it started in individual hearts. Individual hearts that needed to confess and repent. It can only happen when people are attentive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and have open hearts to confess their sins and to put that sin away. God's will is that we confess when we mess up. And the second part of that is to walk away from that sin. That's the repentance part. That's the 180 degree turn that we take from our sin to the things of God. And confession and repentance is not a one-time thing. It's any time we fall, any time we fail throughout our Christian walk, God's will is that we confess and repent. So, the first element is confession and repentance. And then, second, God's will must include separating ourselves from anything that's not pleasing to Him. In 1 Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Sanctification, a big word that basically tells us to be set apart for a purpose, to be separated unto God's use. It's a clue into what God's will is for us. We, we must believe as, as Christians that God has a greater purpose for us and that it requires us to separate ourselves from the things of this world that don't please Him. Now, Paul mentions sexual immorality, but really anything that pulls us away from Him and towards sin is outside of His will. So the will of God must include separating ourselves from anything that's not pleasing to Him. And then thirdly, God's will must include rejoicing, praying, and thankfulness. Rejoicing, praying, and thankfulness. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. So what does the will of God include? Rejoicing, praying, and thankfulness. Rejoice always. Sometimes this is difficult. Rejoice always. Sometimes there's not much in our lives to rejoice about. Sometimes we look at things and they're not so good in our lives. But I think that we need to have a different perspective on good and bad. See, our bad is not God's bad. See, our bad, God uses. He uses the trials in our life to establish His will for us. 
So if we look at the difficulties that we're going through, if we look at the bad things, so to speak, in our lives, we need to see that God is using them for a greater purpose. I'm not making a phone call. My devotional reading this morning. Every difficulty that God brings into our lives not only has significance for us, but it can also have an impact on those whom we are ministering. For all things are for your sakes, Paul writes. How important is it to have a perspective on life that includes God working in us that he might touch others? Paul certainly viewed life and ministry in this manner. I now rejoice. Remember that first part of this verse is rejoice always. So Paul writes, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. That sounds strange, that he's rejoicing in his sufferings, but why? He said, yes, and if I am being poured out a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul uses the word rejoice twice in those verses. Rejoice always. So look at the situations and the circumstances in our life in a different way so that we can rejoice. It's God's will. It's God's will for us as believers. Pray without ceasing. Our prayer needs to be constant. That communication with God is an ongoing thing. Part of our daily life. Even throughout the day. And it doesn't have to be on our knees at 5 a.m. Although it's probably the quietest time of the day for most of us. It can be throughout the day. It can be driving to work. It can be just walking around. Our prayer needs to be without ceasing. So daily and throughout the day, that communication. And in everything, give thanks. Sort of like rejoicing always. Another difficult thing to do. In everything, give thanks. So what this does for us, and this is the will of God for our lives, is it causes our perspective to shift. And where does it shift from? It shifts off of us and onto God and to others. Off of us and onto God and to others. Believing that God knows what's best, we remain thankful no matter what. Because we're not focused on ourselves. Our life is not a self-serving thing. It's about others, and it's about God and our relationship with Him. So God's will must include rejoicing, praying, and thankfulness. Now Peter gives us another insight into the will of God. That God's will must include conduct that is above reproach. Conduct that is above reproach. In 1 Peter 2.15, he writes, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. The will of God includes conduct that is above reproach. Peter is referring here to our conduct in society. So that when people look at our lives, they don't have a reason to doubt our relationship with the Lord or the Lord that we serve. And, you know, many people that we come across 
will never read the Bible, but they'll see us. They'll read our lives so that our conduct must be above reproach because it is God's will for us as believers. You know, I think of those, you know, those televangelists who, who are constantly fleecing the people. You know, and, and you know, always asking for money. I don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes I flip through the, the channels, the upper channels, and I see, and I wait, and I count. How many seconds does it take for them to ask for money? And it's really, it's so constant. That's not what it's about. And that's not what Christianity should look like to the world. A, a relationship with Jesus Christ should look like conduct that is above reproach. When they look at us, when they see us, they need to see Jesus working in us. So God's will must include conduct that is above reproach. Okay, so I said this was a two-part message. So we find out what God's will is, and then, well, we're filled filled with all this knowledge, right? We are filled with all this knowledge. What do we do with it? Again, think the picture now. Think of the mail truck filled with mail. And if it just sits there, you're not going to get your checks or your bills or your packages from Amazon. So the head knowledge is useless, right? Without living it out, without walking it out. So we know the will of God. We know how to find His will. We know why we should find His will, right? But what does it mean now to walk in His will? Walk worthy. Colossians 1.10. Back to the main scripture for today. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So it's a, it's a beautiful cycle of a relationship. We, we, we know His will, we walk in His will, we please Him, we become fruitful, and then we know Him better. It's an awesome cycle of our relationship with Jesus Christ. The reason we need to know the will of God is so that we can then walk worthy of the Lord. And it should be the desire of each and every believer's heart to fully please Him. It should be the natural response to His love for us that we please Him, that we walk worthy. And the Bible gives us many examples of a walk that is worthy to the Lord. So again, if you're taking notes, I'm going to mention seven. Seven examples of a walk that's worthy of the Lord. Number one, walk in unity. Walk in unity. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's pleasing to God when His children bear with one another in love. And sometimes, honestly, we need to bear with one another in love. 
because we're flawed sinners, and sometimes we kind of rub each other the wrong way. But you know what? God's will for us is that we walk in unity. And unity looks like this. It looks like lowliness, which is humility, gentleness, which is kindness, and long-suffering. Long-suffering is patience and tolerance. You know, how short is our fuse with one another? You know, how much do we look at ourselves and not at someone else? How much are we, are we not humble in our relationship with one another? And then kindness. So those three things are part of walking in unity. Walking in unity. You know how much more we can accomplish walking in unity as a church than as individuals? And, I, and you, know, it, you know how it is when, when God's trying to get a point across to you that everything in your life seems to point to that one thing? So I'm, I'm flipping through the channels last night and I, I'm on PBS and there's an awesome nature show called The Gathering Swarms. I don't know if you ever saw this or not. Pastor Joe can appreciate this as a beekeeper. The Gathering Swarms. So it says, it says here in their, sort of their introduction, it's quite a spectacle when animals come together in inconceivable numbers, sometimes in the millions and billions or even trillions. When swarms gather, a kind of superorganism is created in which individual intelligence is superseded by a collective consciousness that shares information and moves with a single purpose for the benefit of all. That is what we are to look like. It's really called synergy. You know, We kind of feed off one another, where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. That's what walking is in unity needs to be like for a Christian. Think about how much more we can accomplish when we walk in unity than when we walk alone as a body of Christ. So, and that's, that's how we walk. We walk in unity. Number two, walk in humility. Walk in humility. Micah 6.8 tells us, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Humbly. Humility is others-centered. So instead of focusing on ourselves, we need to focus on others. True humility shifts that focus. How are we building others up? How are we serving one another? And walking in humility and walking in unity sort of go hand in hand. Because when we are with others, humility needs to be a big part of that relationship with one another. So walking in humility. Then three, walking in newness of life. Romans 6, 4 tells us, Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. 
We are not the same people we were before we came to a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says that we're new creations in Christ Jesus, created for good works. We are not the same old people. We walk now in newness of life. We have been born again. That old life is gone. Now we walk in newness of life. Why would we want to go back and walk in that old life apart from Jesus Christ and the empowering of the Spirit and the blessings that we can be to others and the glorification of God through our lives and the peop- that people come into our lives and see our walk because we're different than we were. Maybe those people who knew you 20 or 30 years ago say, you're not the same person you were. And you can say to them, yes, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm not that same person. You know, God receives us where we're at. But he doesn't want us to stay that way. When we become a new, Christ, a new crea- a creation in Christ Jesus, we are a new, a new person. Set apart for a new purpose. And then, number four, walk in the light. Walk in the light. You ever, you ever walk in the dark? You ever walk in your house and not put the lights on and you just bump into stuff all the time? Walk in the light. Seems simple. Ephesians 5.8 says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk. Again, the old life was darkness. The new life is light. Romans 13.13 says, Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. So that's the old life. That's the dark walk. The walk in the light means putting off the things of the world and putting on Jesus Christ. Walking in the light means we, want, we are transformed and we choose to be transformed into His image. Not the image of the world but into His image. So we walk in the light. And then fifth, walk by faith. Walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So now before we were in darkness, we couldn't see. But now God's telling us, walk by faith, not by sight. To walk by faith means making faith a part of our everyday activities. Just like walking becomes that sort of natural thing that we do effortless, effortlessly. It becomes part of our routine. The walking by faith needs to be part of, of everything that we do. Walking by faith needs to become just natural to us. So that we make faith a part of everything that we do. And what does that mean except that, that we don't look at the things that we can see and say, okay, I understand what that is, but we understand who God is. Understand His faithfulness. 
And then trust that no matter what things look like, that God has the best for us. That's walking in faith. That's walking in faith. And then sixth, walk circumspectly. Walk circumspectly. That's a big word that means basically carefully. Walk carefully. Walk thoughtfully. And just as our walk needs to become a natural part, walking in faith, part of our routine, that walking with the Lord is is something that we do sort of as a natural thing, it still should be done with, with forethought and carefully. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, Paul writes, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Walk carefully. You know, how foolish is it, is it to sort of walk down the street with your eyes closed and not know where you're going, not know where the curb is or the open manhole or the big boulder or the car that's, that's parked. Walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise. This adds another dimension to our walk. Not that our walk now just becomes a natural thing that we just do kind of thoughtlessly, but walking worthy of the Lord is done with care, with care and, and with forethought. Why? Because we need to redeem the time. You know, the Bible tells us that our life is but a vapor. How short our life is, and all of us have experienced that. All of us have at one time or another said about someone who, who has died, boy, they went too quickly. You know, and, and it makes us think. So are we redeeming the time for God's glory? Are we walking circumspectly, carefully, thoughtfully because the days are evil? Are we wasting time? We need to be attentive to how we spend our time for the, for the things of the Lord. And that's what walking circumspectly means. Being attentive to what God wants to do in our life. And then seven, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And there's a... Scriptures in Galatians 5 that speaks about walking in the Spirit. Because, to be honest with you, all of this that we've come to at this point is really not... I, I, don't, I can't do it. I don't know about you guys. It seems too much for me. In my own strength, I know that this list of things, which is not, not exclusive, I mean, there's even more that God tells us how we should walk. I know I can't do it on my own. I need that, I need that empowering of the Holy Spirit in my life in order to walk worthy of the Lord. So in Galatians 5, Paul writes in verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. Our walk needs to be Spirit-led and Spirit-empowered. Or we will walk in darkness. We will walk in the lust of the flesh. We will walk in the things of this world. We will walk 
we, we may fall into a, a ditch. We may fall over the cliff because we are not walking in the Spirit. And again, all the head knowledge in the world is great, but allowing God's Spirit to work in us and through us is the only way that we can do this. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So walking in the Spirit includes all of those elements. That's what God wants to produce in us. See, fruit is something that's a, an outpouring of, of our lives. Fruit is produced as we remain close to our Savior and allow the Spirit to work through us. Fruit is produced. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. And then in verse 25 in that same chapter, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We have been saved by Jesus Christ and His blood. We have been saved by spiritual things. It's not what Paul's saying here is, this is not a way to gain salvation. This is a, a way that you prove to the world that you are saved, that you walk in the Spirit. And it will produce the fruit, which is a natural byproduct. So this is the reason that we are to know His will and to walk in it. Again, in Colossians 1.10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So, our walk, knowing His will and then walking in His will, consists of all the characteristics above and even more. If we are obedient to His calling, the closer we grow to Him, and the more we abide in His Spirit. And then the more we abide in His Spirit, the more it enables us to walk in His will. See, again, the beautiful picture of that relationship. The whole idea is to be connected to the One who has the best plan for our life. And that's God. Like you need... When, when you want directions to get somewhere, you need the, to be connected to the satellite. You know, the GPS unit needs to be connected to the satellite. It navigates a driver from one place to another. So God's positioning system, right, GPS, we need to be connected. We need to be connected to that source. God meets us where we're at. You know, imagine, again, I'll, I'll use the example. Imagine if we all had to go to one place to use our GPS. No, God meets us where we're at. Whatever we're going through at the time. As far as we may feel from God at the time, He'll meet us there. And He'll give us the will for our lives. And now we have that choice to follow it or not. You know, again, we can decide, we can disregard that. Our conscience, though, will tell us. Our conscience will sort of tell us when we're going against God's will. 
but we still need to obey. I remember that song that came out a few years ago, Jesus Take the Wheel. You guys remember that? The, the chorus goes, Jesus Take the Wheel, Take it from my hands, because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. So give me one more chance to save me from this road I'm on. Jesus, take the wheel. Now, wouldn't we love for that to happen? Wouldn't we love for Jesus to just take the wheel and we could just be free from sin and drive us right to the Father? But the loving part about our relationship with Jesus Christ is that He gives us free will. See, the the most beautiful part about the relationship is that we get to choose to love Him. Is that we get to choose to walk worthy. And He doesn't force us. No, He won't take the wheel, but He'll guide us to make the right turns along the way. Now, as I close up, you'll notice that one thing I did not tell you. I did not tell you individually how to find God's specific will for your life. Well, first of all, that would take too much time. But secondly, I believe that finding out God's will, discerning God's will, is to know His general will for all believers. And then to do it. And then He will reveal His specific will to you. See, a lot of times we pray, God, what is your will for my life? God, I need to know. I need need to know your will for my life. Well, we saw walk in humility. Walk in love. Walk circumspectly. Know His will. Do His will. He'll reveal His perfect individual will to you. One thing I do know, though, about God's will is that He desires for each and every person to have a personal relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, because a lot of things we talked about, everything we talked about today, depends on you having that relationship. It depends on you having that personal relationship connection to the source of the direction for your life. You see, because if that personal relationship isn't there, then you're kind of disconnected. And you're sort of floundering around. And you don't have direction. And you don't know where you're going. And you feel lost. God's perfect will is that each and every person is saved. How do I know that? Well, the Bible says it. And as we close up, if the worship team will come up, 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, that all, but that all should come to repentance. What is God's will? Well, hopefully you were taking notes. But ultimately, God's will for each and every one of us 
is that we come to that personal, individual, intimate relationship with our Lord and Savior. And that is something that's individual. That is something that God will speak to each and every person. Convict each and every individual person. No one comes to the Father in in a crowd. This is the one individual thing that God wants from us. So before any of you who do not have that relationship with the Lord leave this place, I want to give you an opportunity. Because if you're not connected to the source, you're not going to know the direction for your life. If you don't have that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be lost. So as the worship team leads us in a song, I want to give an opportunity for anyone to come forward and we'll pray together to begin that relationship, to get connected to the one who can give you direction. Let's pray.